Hey everybody, welcome to the Inspire Podcast. This is Matt. And this is Brad. We are the pastors of Inspire Church in Westfield, Indiana. If you want to stay up to date with everything that's happening around here, be sure to subscribe to our text updates by texting the keyword INSPIRE. That's N-S-P-I-R-E to 317-451-4111. We hope the following message inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Inspire Church. My name is Matt. I am the other pastor, and we are glad you've chosen to join us in person as well as on the live stream. And we are excited to uh, continue a series. I will say this uh, if you attend here regularly, you, you know, or you may be aware that we do this thing called a lobby, and it's the thing that we do pre service. And you may have heard that my wife and I went on vacation this last week. We were gone last Sunday. Lisa, who's sitting right here, she was uh, a fill in for me in the lobby things. And and uh, we got a chance to get away. We got to see uh, the city of Charleston. We've never been there before. And then we went to uh, Hilton Head Island. So we like split our trip up. It was fantastic. We celebrated our 14 years of marriage. We're trailing behind Brad and Lisa. They're going for 20 this year. Uh, but that's because they're old. So... <laughs> Anyways, I'm uh, super glad you're here with us today. I get to do part four of our 30-minute theology, and what we've been talking about are different topics that jump up when you start talking about God. Theology, theo, theos, theos, whatever words you want to, uh, however you want to uh, parse it. Theos means God, ology means words, and so literally we're having, we're talking about words about God. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about things like uh, uh, we've talked about the evolution of faith. We've talked about liberation theology. We've even talked about original sin versus original blessing. And, and today we're going to dive into a, 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 I think the way I would put it is, uh, it is when I was doing my theological, uh, my ordination process, one of the things that they asked us to do was write theological statements. And so these theological statements were things that we had to, uh, basically you had to be able to discuss and share and write out what were your thoughts on faith in general. And so there would be categories of things that you had to write out. And then after you would, uh, after you would write your theological statements, then you had a class that you would go to or a one-on-one -on -one panel that you would go in front of four to six people and you would defend your theological statements to basically figure out whether or not you answered correctly or if, they, if you could defend your thought processes and stuff like that. Now, theological statements are sometimes like the litmus test for who's in and who's out in some groups. So in some churches, they, the first thing you'll find on their webpage is like they have a, a theological statements. And actually, one of the leading questions we get here at Inspire is like, what are your theological statements? What are the things that you believe? And, and so I wanted to share with you a couple of things that we have, but I also want to share with you, you may not be aware of this, but uh, Inspire Church is a part of a, a movement of churches called the Church of God. And quite frankly, it's titled that. It's like the most generic name you can even think of because... The simple belief is that if you believe in Jesus, God makes you a member of the church of God. So simple faith in Jesus makes you in. And then from there, there are all sorts of discussions and debates about all the things that go with it. And uh, when you begin to understand your theological statements, you begin to start wrestling with all of those things. Um, that's where this stuff can get very interesting and very intriguing. And so I want to share with you one theological statement that is, 
inside of the Church of God kind of narrative, and I pulled this straight off of the Church of God website. Now, the Church of God website is a, uh, it's creatively titled, it's just Jesus is the subject.org. So if you ever wanted to go figure out like things about the Church of God in general, uh, you can go to Jesus is the subject.org and you can find these things. Now, I went there, I found our theological statement on the Bible. The Bible is one of the most interesting things that you can, uh, that we can dive into, and today we're going to dive into just that. Uh, and so I want to share with you uh, the Church of God's view on what, uh, uh, the, where Scripture stands, and then I'm going to unpack for you a couple of things, because there might be some words or things you have questions about, or you may not even understand why any of this is important. So check this out. The supremacy of Scripture... He says, we are a people, talking about the people of the church of God, we are a people of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, supernaturally inspired, preserved across times, cultures and continents, delivered to us, useful for reproof and instruction, for righteousness. Uh, The scripture is our backstop in the ultimate field of inquiry and judgment. The measure of conduct, faith, and practice, whatever the question, whatever the test, whatever comes before us, in the end, it is the Scripture, above all other disciplines, that informs and defines us. All other sources of knowledge fall beneath its shadow. It's thorough, right? You start reading these things and you're like, man alive, what in the world is all this about? Like, how does this, what does this even mean? Why does this even matter? And it sounds good. But then you can quickly start adding things to, subtracting things. And there are three words that I want to talk about today that can get thrown in or they can, you may have come across conversations. Now, if you're in like the nerd circles that likes to get into these debates, there are three words that pop up all the time when people want to talk about the Bible itself. And they are thrown in for theological discussions purposes. And so these three words, well, first of all, you've probably heard that the Bible is referred to as the Word of God, right? You've heard that? Nothing wrong with that statement. The Word of God. So then you have these additional conversations about, is that Word of God authoritative, inerrant, or inspired? Those of you in the room, anybody ever heard those words before? Authoritative, inerrant, inspired. Those are like phrases that get used or you have questions about. Uh, what are these things that, you know, there? Is the Bible important because of those things? And, and you have these things that people start wrestling with here, right? So today we're going to wrestle with these words in general. And we're going to try to figure out what does it mean. Now, as we dive into this thing, I want to share with you a couple of things. Now, Words can create worlds. Words in themselves have a way of creating possibilities and opportunities. Sometimes people can speak words and they just kind of jump into. Uh, I remember when I was young, I had a mentor say something to me about how Matt, he, he felt like I was good with people. And he's like, God is going to use that in some unique way. This is before I ever felt like I was called into ministry or whatever. And I'd never thought of myself in any way, shape, or form about being able to relate. I just thought I had friends. I like to relate to people. And this person said something like, God's going to use that in a unique way. That created a world of possibilities for me as a young man, thinking to myself, like, words can create. And it did. It created, like, this world of possibility for me of thinking, like, man, maybe God does want to use me. 
Now, Abraham Joshua Heschel is the one that said this. And one of the things that's interesting about this idea that words create worlds, is that they literally create new realities like they did for me. Maybe you've had somebody that speaks words into your life and they had a way of creating a possibility for you. This is why the words we say as moms and dads and coaches and friends and peers, the words we say, we need to be very uh, measured with sometimes because they can tear down worlds, they can create worlds. One of the things that's interesting is when you open up the Bible, it starts with God creating, using words. You see, creation begins with God speaking, and it is. He says, let there be light, and there's light. God speaks the entire world into creation in Genesis. He speaks, and it is. Now, a couple of things about the word, word. Does that make sense? Check this out. So the word for word and to speak in the Hebrew is the word devar. Okay? This word is used 1,400 times in the scripture. God speaks and things happen. The word for word is also translated to say, to mean the thing, power, something written, spoken, or heard, seen, and experienced. See, the writers of the Bible, they believed, they taught that life has a source and that everything that flows, uh, everything that is in the world flows from the heart of God and it flows from the mouth of God, if you will, and that God was good and he was creative and he was generous and everything that he says or everything that is came from the word of God. They teach us this over and over and over in Scripture. Paul, in Leicester, he says this. He says, Yet he, meaning God, has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops and their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. You see, God... What, what is, if you were to think of a testimony, testimonies are generally like a spoken word, right? Paul is like illustrated in like all of creation is like God's word, his testimony, showing you God provides, God fills, God gives what you need. Or how about this scripture in uh, Hebrews that says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, or you could say God's word, right? At God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. No, God commands it. He's a spoken word, and it comes into reality. It wasn't like it was there, and it took re- and had a new form. No, God literally spoke it into reality. According to the writers of the Bible, the entire world is God's word. The entire world is God's testimony, and the entire world was being spoken into creation and we are the witnesses of his creation and we get to see who God is through his word we learn about God through his world now in Psalms it actually says this that God renews the face of the ground sometimes people will say that God created the world then it just kind of sat and he just stands back and lets it go no the, the writers of the scripture actually tell us that God is still actively renewing the world. He's still active in this space. He didn't just, you know, set the, the clock and now it just keeps ticking. No, he's still active in this world. He renews 
over and over. And now, I want to give you a little bit of Christian history to understand this phrase that you may have heard before. And this phrase is this word or this term, sola scriptura. In week one, I talked about this for just a a brief second. I gave you a little bit of history on this phrase then, but I want to unpack it a little bit more. So right around the time of the, Pro- the Protestant movement, if you don't are familiar with Christian history, that was around the time when Martin Luther decided that there was something going on in the Catholic Church that he would no longer embrace, and that he was going to, he wrote the 95, or 95 Theses and stapled them to the door, and, and basically he started this whole movement of people who were no longer going to be underneath the Pope. Now, at the time, the Pope was considered to be an errant. He was the ultimate authority of all things. And so when the the people of the Protestant movement decided they were going to be stepping out from underneath the authority, they'd lost trust in the Pope. When they decided they were going to step out from authority, uh, they needed a new infallible uh, source to look to because it was believed that the Pope was infallible. The Pope's word was as if it was like it was a continuation of God's word. And so they needed this new source for ultimate decision making. So they turned to the Bible which is good, right? This term sola scriptura uh, became popular at that time. And they they basically at that point in time, they made what were the scriptures. It became the word of God. And it became like, effectively, it became the capital word, capital W, word of God, which is interesting, right? The scriptures became the source for all things. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with this process, but what it began to happen was is that when they elevated the scriptures from being the scriptures written by people, and there was their accounts, they were held highly, to be clear. There was a reason they turned to the scriptures as their source of authority and inerrancy. There was a reason why they turned to that. But what happened was when they turned in that way, the scriptures then started to sound like, when they said that it was the word of God, you would read John 1, where John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You may have heard this around Christmas time. We brush that one off and we bring it back out, right? Well, that term, the word became flesh, is referring to Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. In Christian uh, theology, Jesus being the son of God is a part of the Trinity. Jesus is like an equal partner in the triune relationship with God. And so when scripture got elevated to the word of God, you had the Bible becoming equal to Jesus, who was equal with God. And you can quickly see where this can get troublesome. Now, for some of you, you're like, I don't see any problem with this at all. But if you don't pay attention, there's some things that can happen that can steer you in a direction that can get you in some weird situations very quickly. Like, yes, the Bible is the word of God. But the writers of the scriptures, they teach us that lots of things were like the word of God. Like, the the scriptures themselves teach us that God's creation is like the word of God. And we should absolutely listen to the word of God. And it can make us way more aware of who God is, what God is like, how God interacts within this world. And we should be very, very in tune with the word of God, which then raises the question, which you may have heard before, is like, is the Bible authoritative? Is the Bible authoritative? Well, let's talk about the word authority. 
You see, authority is an interesting word, and to get a good grasp of what the Bible means when it talks about authority, let's look at what Paul says about authority in, in Corinthians. He says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, he says this, The authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down. Now he's talking about the words that God had given Paul to share with the people. And I'm going to talk about, I, I know that you're probably thinking, what does this verse have anything to do with? I want to show you the word authority. And then we're going to look at what this word means. Now the word itself is exousia. That now, if you didn't ever take Greek, which I did, and I'm not even a Greek scholar, I, it was like my least favorite class, probably because it was at 8 o'clock, four days a week. Brutal. Doesn't that sound like excitement? Like, just get up at 8 o'clock and go learn some Greek every day. Oh, it was brutal. My teachers were great, but I was not great at it. Uh, now, the word exousia, ek meaning out, and ousia means... Uh, he, he changed my slide on I me, and I lost my spot here. Uh, ek means out, and uzia, mean, or amy, excuse me, is the word for be. Okay? So this is how the words, now you're trying to figure out how in the world is those things. Now, in other places where this word is translated, it can mean weight, power, influence, or authority. Now, it's referencing the action of power, power to act, and you have power uh, to do stuff. It has certain purposes. Authority has reasons for having authority. Authority is something you have uh, with a purpose of doing something with it. And just for fun, just to throw so, just a little wrench in the room, it's a feminine word. All the ladies in the room are like, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Authority in the scriptures is a feminine word. And another thing just for fun, did you know that the Holy Spirit, the word for spirit is actually a feminine word too. Interesting, huh? Now, uh, to fully understand, you got to remember that the Bible, it has to be interpreted. You'll run into people who will say, I just do what the Bible tells me to do. But no, the Bible must be interpreted. Interpreted, excuse me. Uh, so some people interpreted. it. That's a funny word I got thrown off there. <laughs> uh, it, it must be interpreted. And what I mean by that is, is like uh, you'll run into people who say, I just do what the Bible tells me to do. I'm just going to do what it says. I'm going to keep it really simple. I'm just going to read it and do what it says to do. The odds are that when people say that, they probably didn't greet you with a holy kiss. They probably don't have tassels hanging from the corners of their garments. They probably have fabrics that probably have multiple fabrics sewn together. They might wear those from time to time. Uh, they, I guarantee you, aren't really concerned about treating their slaves kindly because they don't even have slaves. Like, there's all sorts of things in the scriptures that they have made decisions about that they don't think actually require them to continue to follow. See, another way of saying this is that they, they, there's things in the scriptures that they don't think are binding any longer. They don't think that they're, they have to hold to those things. And generally, they had someone in their life teach them the things that they have been taught. They had a relationship with a church or a, a parent or a friend or a small group or there's someone they watched online. They've, they had someone who helped them interpret these things. Now, when I was in school, one of my professors used to say that he who studies alone turns weird. 
Uh, so if you want to just go and try to interpret everything yourself, you'll like sit down, you'll read these things, and you'll have these great interpretations that make really great sense to you, and you walk out, and everybody's like, what in the world? The scriptures were actually intended to be interpreted in a community. If you look at a lot of the New Testament scriptures, they're written to cities, groups, people, not one person. Like very few books have a title or a purpose of being written to one person. Like Timothy was written to Timothy. Uh, Philemon, written to Philemon. Like, there's letters that are written to individuals, but most are written to, to communities. The scriptures are meant for us to do, to wrestle them out together, try to figure out what it means to live this out together. Now, when we do that, we allow other people's voices to have authority in our lives. And some of us have given authority to different leaders, and you trust that person, and you follow them, uh, and so they have these, they've given, they interpret the scripture, but it usually comes from someone they have given authority to. And that person's voice has weight or influence in their life. Now, here at Inspire, Brad and I teach, and you listen, and in some way or another, you've given some weight or influence, or even, I don't like to use the word because I grew up in a church where I felt like that was abused, but even authority. And we try to hold that loosely, and we try to make it so that you can agree, you can disagree. We're going to wrestle with the scriptures together, but it's a relational aspect. Now, some authority is over you, and you have no choice about it, right? Like the, the police. We don't really have a whole lot of... Uh, the IRS, another one. They have authority over us. Like, there are some that you just have that's going to be over you, and you have no choice. Others, you choose. We allow coaches in our lives to coach our kids, uh, to, to be influences in our children's lives. We bring our kids to church and we choose to allow the teachers in the classrooms, we trust those teachers and we allow them to have authority over our children to teach our children. We have mechanics who work on our cars. We want experts from time to time to be able to say, hey, I don't know what's going on here. I know you know more about this than me or I would like your opinion like when I call a guy over to fix something on my roof, I know a little bit about roofs. I know it shouldn't do certain things. I know things that it should do. I can look at flaws. I don't always know the best way to enact change. I don't always know the best way to move them, so I call an expert. Now, Brad and I are far from experts in this, but this you get the idea, right? You see where we're going with this. Now, we give people who we've given authority, we give them and their opinions weight and generally, we hope that the authority has, uh, gives us a call to action. And it, it calls us to work. And, and it, call, it calls us to have activity. And they have this authority that should be given to, call, to, to create this movement. Right? Now, authority is a relational reality. Sometimes we lose this. Like, you have relationship that comes with it in a healthy when authority loses the relational aspect to it, that's when it starts to get tricky. That's when we start to wrestle with it. That's when it starts to feel, uh, it feels um, like a burden. See, when people talk about authority and they talk about the Bible, it means, it means doing what it says to do. And you cannot do that without interpreting it. And you generally cannot do that without Relationship. Now, again, not every relationship is one you choose. Some relationships you just need to honor. You need to respect. Others you have the, the opportunity to choose. But you have to have trust 
You trust the person. You trust the group. The people who are interpreting things. You, you wrestle with it. You give feedback. But ultimately, trust is at the heart of it. Because it's relationship. Now, I say all that because there are moments when people can lose trust. You can lose trust in an area of someone's authority. Like there might be one part where you're like, you know what, I hear everything, everything that they say. But there's one little area I'm not sure if they, I'm going to listen to everything they say in that area. So for some of us, you had faith. And people go off to school. And then when they get to school and college, you know, all their life they've been told they should just obey the Bible, they should just obey the Bible. And later they realize that some of the things that they were told when they were younger, they kind of lost the trust in what that person said. And they can walk away from their faith, the Bible, Jesus, and God, for reasons that may not actually be God's fault. Does that make sense? You see, it could have been that that person or that person's interpretation is just not how you see it any longer. So yeah, the Bible is something that you should give weight to and something you give influence to, but we do it with our minds intact. We do it as we think and we wrestle. We don't just trust interpretations blindly. In this gathering, we talk openly about it. There will be moments when Brad or I say things that you can openly disagree with, and that is okay. This is not a gathering that has all these rules that every person has to believe the exact same way. You are free to use your mind. We, you are free to wrestle with stuff. And we want you to give trust and maybe authority to some of the words, but that does not mean checking your mind at the door. The Bible, yes, it has authority. But it does so with you thinking and you trusting and you believing. Now, another big question is, is the Bible inerrant? Now, this is a word like some of you guys, uh, uh, I remember when I was in college, maybe I just wasn't smart, I didn't know, but this word just felt really big. It basically, means it, does it have mistakes in it? Is it wrong? You see, this is important because when you think about the Bible, um, and because if the Bible is God's word or the word of God, then it should be, you think in your mind, without error. Because God is without error, right? No one in here would be like, yeah, God messed up, except for when he made cats. Maybe, maybe that was on the list of maybe God's error. I don't know. Uh, anyways, but here's a, here's a question I have for you. When you think about Shakespeare... Shakespeare, you remember the writer, you know, Romeo and Juliet and some other things. Here's a question I have for you. Did Shakespeare win? Like, did he prevail? Is his work true? Now, for some of you in the room, I can already see the wheels are turning. You're like, what? Uh, you, you might think those questions are funny, right? Because that's not the category that you generally think of Shakespeare and his work in, Right? You don't think of Shakespeare as like winning and prevailing and truth when you're thinking about Shakespeare. That's not the point of what he's up to. It's not what he's doing when he's writing. It's not about winning. That's not the point. You see, the Bible, it's filled with all sorts of writings. It has all sorts of different authors. It's all sorts of different purposes. And they come from different time periods, different points in history. 
And you know what? They weren't written with the purpose of being written to be inerrant. You see, that's not the category that the scripture was intended to fulfill. These were people who were inspired by God. I do believe that, and we'll get to that in a second. But they were sharing their experience. They were sharing what God had revealed to them. They were sharing where God was at and how God had moved them forward and what God had revealed to them in the time they were in, where they were at, and what they were going through. This is why, as we've talked about in week one of this, like time changes things. Like this is why there's certain things in Scripture that we just no longer still hold to or we still hold as binding. They're helpful and instructional. They help us understand the process of faith and growth and the development of what God's doing in the world. But not everything has the same inerrancy. Some things you've moved past. You see, we like things like truth and facts and stats. But if we're honest, and if this is like something I learned in introduction to Bible, that's not what the Bible was written for. You see, it has moments when it contradicts itself. For some people, that's one of the trickiest things. Like they'll hear, so they'll use the Bible and they'll point to things that have moments when it contradicts itself. Go back and watch week one of this series when we talked about that. Sometimes it misplaces details. Sometimes uh, it has things that you're just like, that doesn't even seem right or true. And it doesn't mean that the Bible is not right or true or good or worthwhile. Like, that's just not what the purpose of the scriptures as they were written to be. So when you find yourself wrestling with whether or not the scripture is inerrant, you just have to just tell yourself, like, did the sunset win last night? Someone wants to wrestle with you and say, hey, I noticed that the Bible, it's got some errors in it. What are you going to do with it? And you say, oh, yeah. How about that sunset last night? It was totally winning, wasn't it? You see, we don't use that terminology when we wrestle with the scriptures. We don't use that language when we describe events like the sunset. Because if you do, it will rob them of their depth and their joy and the experience that I believe God created them for. Hopefully this makes sense, which then takes us back to uh, our original question, which I, I think is an important one. Is the Bible inerrant? I honestly think it's so much more than that. Like that's... That's a very small, limited question pertaining to one little area of literature that I think the the scriptures are so much more than that. Tracking with me? And then finally, one last question. Is the Bible inspired? You may have heard this one before, right? Is the Bible inspired? Now, here at Inspire, we talk about being inspired all the time, so you're going to know some of this stuff already. But like 2 Timothy says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, and I put this in here so don't get confused. This isn't in the scripture, but so the servant of God or you, someone who wants to serve God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the word translated here as God-breathed is this word theonoustos. That's a fun one to say, right? Theonoustos, which theo, you learn that in theology, right? means God breathed. You with me? Now, this word is found nowhere else in the scriptures. It's the only place you find it in the entire scripture, this, the idea of God breathed. Now, neo or is, is, is a Greek root word. 
This is the word that we use sometimes when we get words like pneumonia. Uh, It's illness. It's kind of like an illness related to breathing. Or like pneumatic tools. They're operated by air blowing through them. Now, we know that if you, maybe if you're watching online, you may not know this, but like breath can also mean spirit. In Genesis, the beginning of creation, God breathes into man. One time I said, God breathed into the nostrils of man, which is literally what the scripture said. Brad could not get past it. He thought it was so funny. But literally, the scriptures say, God literally breathes into the nostrils of man. He gives life, he gives spirit to this created dirt that he creates, and all of a sudden it comes to life with spirit. You see, you are material, your flesh, and your blood, and your, your hair, you know, you're, you're, you're material, but you're also spiritual. Because God has given you spirit. You see, we are all breathed into. Now, we learn in the scriptures that this life that we have, it is a precious gift. And sometimes you can become numb to just how precious it is. Or you, be, you can become gracious, humble, like fully awake to all of the gifts that God gives you. You see, you have so much more around you. And you see, we also learn that what we do with this gift that God has given us matters deeply. You see, God has a plan for our lives. Very cliche, doesn't it? It sounds just like, oh, of course God has a plan. God has a plan for He uses people like you and me and You can use this gift that God's given you for good. And you can make decisions that move creation forward in a good way. You can make decisions that change the trajectory of the world. Uh, And God breathes that gift into you. And you have been given this ability to do great things. So when we talk about the Bible, yes, it's a library, but it's also... Uh, written by people who were inspired by God and God was like breathing life into them and they began to share. They began to express how God was changing. And so what we could say is, like, yes, the Bible is, it's, it's, it's like you. It's inspired, absolutely. And you are inspired. It's just paper, yeah, and it's just bound in the form of a book, and it's, but it's written by people that were like you and me. But it's also so much more than that. It's not just paper. And it's not just things written down. It's not just a book bound. Like this, this library of books is useful for changing the world. It's useful. It's inspired by God. And it keeps like, when you read it, it can, it can reveal new things to you. It can open your eyes. It can literally inspire you. An inspired book inspires you to go live and move forward and to take this creation somewhere great. You, uh, you read it. And sometimes it's just like you read through stuff and it seems boring. And the next moment you'll read something that you've never understood or never like, seen there before. And God reveals something brand new 
new to you, and you give it weight, you give it authority, and you say, yes, I'm going to trust this, and I'm going to listen to this, and I'm going to take time to make sure that it's there, and I'm going to, I'm going to try to follow along, and I'll have my mind in check, and I'm going, to, I'm going to try to learn and see where the areas that God wants to transform me. You know, the scriptures say, Paul says that you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God uses the word of God. Uh, the God, I said it sounds redundant, isn't it? God uses the word of God to transform us. And as we are being transformed, the world changes. Because words create worlds. And God continues to speak into this world. He continues to renew this world. And so... We hold a very high view of the scriptures because we believe that it is like you and me. The Bible is inspired, and so are you. And that, my friends, that's truly inspiring to me. Let me pray for us. Lord, we come to you now and we thank you. Thank you for your word. The writers tell us that your word is all around us. It is bound, and it is in paper form, or it's digital form that we scroll through on our phones, but it's also in this world. All things are your word. Lord, we thank you for inspiring it with your truth, inspiring it with your life, and we thank you for... Uh, the presence that you give uh, us as a gift in this world. You are here now among us, inspiring us to move forward. And so, Lord, we thank you for that gift. And, uh, Lord, as we move forward from this day uh, to celebrate uh, maybe with families on this Father's Day, Lord, may we... Uh, be reminded that you are a good father who is present and inspiring us as we move forward. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Westfield area, we'd love to see you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions and more information about our services and family ministries, check out our Facebook page or visit us online at www.inspire.church.